Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Austin Smedley, your host of Beyond the Well podcast. I'm real excited to be back. It's been far too long. Got a really interesting episode to get back right into the swing of things with Saint Saturday. Before I go ahead and pronounce your name, because I've had a history of mispronouncing names, I don't know if maybe it's an Operation Werewolf thing or something, but uh, if you can go ahead and introduce <laughs> yourself and give me an idea how to pronounce your name so I don't mess it up or screw it up too badly. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Nico Mercialo, and uh, most people just on the, in the online space just call me St. Saturday. It's uh, kind of started as a, an Instagram handle, and then it's just gone from there. So uh, either or is fine. Wonderful, wonderful. So just just so everybody can get an idea of how of the work that you do, you know, how we came across each other on Instagram, social media. What exactly do you do? Like, what do people know you for? Yeah, most people I think, based on the Instagram space and on online space right now, probably know me best for my artwork. So I'm a contemporary artist. I work in uh, mostly painting, sculpture, and multimedia. Um, outside of that, I also am heavily involved in a number of different business enterprises, all of which involve uh, brand design and brand development, marketing, and the creative space, and all of which really flow from the same place as artwork. Uh, I've definitely been more public about my artwork than I have about the other stuff, uh, just as a you know as a social media presence. But uh, all of the work I do generally flows from the idea of taking ideas and making them into real no, work or business. Oh, definitely. That seems to be, especially with like Procano Initiative with Paul, who was on here as well, you know, Pat, all these guys that have been involved mm-hmm. with this, this movement and brand marketing is definitely a big one. I'm definitely learning the ropes myself being a young man who could not possibly be more clueless when it comes to these things, but they definitely do <laughs> flow from the same place. Like when I first, like when we first began messaging each other, that's one of the things that you mentioned that stuck out to me was how, your work being a painter a sculptor all these other things that i am absolutely clueless about in myself when it comes to just talking and discussing philosophy and religious beliefs and all these sorts of things you mentioned that they fall under the same banner like they sort of exist in the same plane would you care to dive into that a little bit further yeah absolutely so the best way to that that i've kind of come over the last you know decade or so of doing kind of explain my philosophy about the creative process and where all of these different elements that sometimes at first seem kind of like disparate pieces come from the same place by which we become good at them. The essential principles behind becoming good at painting or physical playing, like say if you're in the martial arts or you know weightlifting or whatever you're into, uh, all the way through building a business and, and spiritual practice, the, the process of becoming good at these things or mastering them or even exploring them on any level is all the same. So when I, I've been a painter my whole life, I've been an artist my whole life, it's always been something that I've done as a way to explore ideas that I wasn't able to put into words. And what I found is that as I, as I got older and I spent a lot of time in the business space, in, in leadership, in the tech sector, and eventually abandoned that to pursue brand creative elements of uncovering how to build a brand and how to build layers of meaning behind it, which I know is something you mentioned, Paul, and Burkino uh, Initiative talking about. And uh, it's, it's been interesting to see those parallels. So what that led me to realize is that all of these things are just different manifestations of the same. I, I, I tend to think of it as a divine principle, an internal principle, and all these things are like the, like uh, like rays that radiate out from that same internal principle, which is mankind's desire to create and our will to 
bring forth things that don't exist and make them real. Absolutely, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, when it comes to guys like the Bracano Initiative and all all the work that they do, they Paul, I know, certainly has spoken about the principles between like physical prowess, like lifting weights or mm-hmm. competing in MMA or writing or being a philosopher of some kind. A lot of those same principles, they're all the same. Like to be a successful artist, <clears throat> you need the same thing in order to be a successful in the business world as well. To dive a little bit deeper into that, what do you believe those principles are exactly? What makes you a successful painter and a successful businessman and what have you? I think there's there's mundane principles and there's more esoteric ones. And, and I guess, you know, probably to start with the mundane ones would just be things that are very, very simple and not particularly sexy. Uh, the ability to, you know, the ability to suck at something for a long time before you're good at it. Um, it's, it's highly, highly, highly underrated. I think in a in an insta age where everybody wants to be not only to be good at everything right away, they want credit for everything right away, they want to be praised for everything right away, and really, what I've noticed to be you know to become good at say artwork, uh, it, it requires that uh, it requires that you be willing to suck at painting for a very long time, and you know just to be able to hammer away at that and do so for years and years and years and years. You know, really getting no praise from anybody but your close friends and family that are telling you you're improving before you can actually see results and before you can actually develop the skill that matches what you have in your head or your heart to create. So one of the things I've noticed in, in this capacity is the frustration that somebody who's starting off as an artist or just beginning to explore a creative medium, whatever it may be, whether it's music or art or, you know, photography or whatever else, right? They're all, you creativity is creativity. Um, they get to a place where they, they, the, the initial rush of it and the initial excitement of picking up something that's new and novel wears off and is kind of replaced by this relentless grind and, and the ability to push through that grind and keep going even though you know you're not good and you know you're not good yet is is kind of that that's the first and i'd say most mundane and probably most difficult piece of the puzzle to crack and the way that i got past that was basically just looking at my work and saying okay well you know like i in the early years like i'm I'm very very well aware that my work isn't good i look at you know other artists out in the world and you know even in the the pre-social media era when i was getting started you still compare yourself to other artists that are good and you, you know that your work isn't that yet. But what that does indicate is that you have good taste because you're self-conscious enough to be aware that your work isn't good yet. And the ability to kind of set that aside and say, okay, I'm just going to put my head down and keep working, I think definitely on a mundane level, uh, that's that's probably the first imperative, right? And I, like I said, that's the same whether you're growing a brand or a business or you're you know trying to make progress in the gym, you know, you're grinding away results and uh you just have to buckle down and stick with it comparison can be the death of progress if you don't have the right mindset for it i've definitely oh yeah uh, yeah i've been experiencing it's funny that you kind of mentioned that because like even with this project that i've done and me being substantially younger than the people around me and the people i'm speaking to Mm -hmm. just getting in all this knowledge and for someone who's completely new to building a brand or whatever someone like myself for example who knows Mm -hmm. you know like that that first part you mentioned was gold you have to be prepared to suck at something for a very long time before you're good at it in any capacity. And for me, it's yeah, a technical sure. side it's, of things when it comes. Yeah, it, it, for sure. It's, it's, uh, I, I think it's not only do you have to be prepared to suck at something though. I think it's, it's actually, I mean, that's kind of a, 
you know, a well-trod platitude, you know, like perseverance and discipline. Guys like Jocko Willing talk about that a lot, obviously. And there's a lot of thought leadership on that. But I think the other thing that kind of goes hand-in-hand with that is your mindset towards, you know, not being good at something yet, right? There's there's two mindsets. There's an or- And it's all about orientation, in my experience. You have the orientation of comparing yourself to those who are better at what you do than you are. And you look at that as being uh, a mindset of, of not trying to mimic them or copy them, but trying to achieve what they have in spirit. And you use that as, as uh, uh, I guess, inspiration to draw yourself closer to that ideal state. Or you look at it and you turn into one of these people on Instagram that just is, you know, constantly flipping through their feed and looking at every other artist or, you know, whatever it is you do, looking at every other person in that category and comparing yourself negatively to it and saying, oh, you know, this this guy's been doing this thing for 10 years and, and, you know, I'll never be that good. Right. It's like, well, he, at some point he started off where you were too and he was shit as well. And it's just a matter of how do you, how do you orientate yourself towards not being good, right. Towards a state of being a student. Uh, and I, you know, obviously it's, it's easy to say, it's easier to say when you've already kind of passed that curve to some extent and you've already, you know, developed a, a particular skill set to become good at something. But uh, it's so important to have that that orientation, I think, and that's something that uh, is kind of like one of the, the the aspects of modernity that I don't like is increasingly seem unwilling to not be good at things for a period of time to earn that that skill. Yeah, just the same way if you're in a weightlifting competition or in an MMA fight or an exhibition of some kind, you have to earn the victory, whether by points or by mm-hmm. submission or by knockout or what have you. You have to earn it. I think that's the big one there. When especially when it comes yeah. to like the social media age and a lot of people, especially for younger folks like myself, when it comes to that, we'll open up social media and we've got a million examples of what success, quote unquote, success looks like. And you have mm-hmm. the hot people advertising and making millions of dollars just by being hot, by wearing this brand or that brand. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be extremely mm-hmm. frustrating and demotivating to someone who perhaps doesn't fit that same mold, but is more motivated and has an idea but you don't get to see the early stages. You know, you don't get to see when they sucked. All you get to see is, well, I suck. What am I going to do from here? Yeah. The other thing, too, I think with the age of influencers that we live in and you know, being, uh, being an individual who works and who, who you know, the, the nature of my business outside of art and arguably even in art is essentially brand development and, and marketing. Being able to look at influencers has been absolutely fascinating. And I think from the outside perspective, what, what a lot of us see, and certainly what I saw when I first began to, to notice uh, social media influencers, you know, a lot of these people, you, you look at them and you think, what, you know, what the fuck do you actually do? You know, what do you, what do you actually do? You don't do anything. You, you know, like you nailed it, right? You, you're sitting there taking a, taking a picture with whatever brand you have and you're, you know, that's essentially what you're being paid to do. But there is a sort of brilliance in that. There, there really is. There's uh I, I I found that I kind of ran smack into my own uh, into my own cognitive bias when I first encountered that, and it kind of made me a little bit salty. Until I realized, you know, these, these people are really just individuals who have their finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist right now. They understand what works and what doesn't, and they've got a commodity which happens to be their good looks or their you know whatever they have, and they're using that like a weapon, and they're using it to succeed, and they're using it as a way to leverage uh, weak spots in reality to get what they want. And I, I, as much as, 
I can philosophize my way around why I don't like that and why I think it, it's not really contributing much. At the same time, you know, if I was a, you know, if I was a, you know, model material kind of guy, would I, would I use that too? Like, damn right, I probably would. Why not? Right. It's, uh, you know, again, I think it, it depends like anything else, you know, we're going to see the surface level of what those people are. And I, and I know a bunch of people who are influencers and, you know, seeing what they post on, on Instagram versus who they are in real life oftentimes is, you know, we only see the surface, right? We only see the tip of the iceberg there. And there actually, there's a much deeper plan for a lot of them going on. So it's, uh, it's, it's a hard one for me too, because I, I'm not really into the whole vapid, you know, just showcasing them an individual standing there looking cute or whatever. So. Uh, n- neither am I. I mean, again, like you kind of hit the nail on the head. If I had those same traits that would earn me that same living doing those same things. I mean, UFC fighter Paige Van Zant in the strawweight division, she's a female fighter. She's primarily known for being a hot chick, basically. And she was, she did an interview recently and she said, I make more, a lot more money just wearing things on Instagram than I do actually fighting. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that there too, because honestly they really are doing the same exact thing as someone with a talent for speaking is doing they're holding their finger on the pulse of the masses and they're going ahead and they're making a living doing the same thing could they be will they be remembered the same way as that writer the way the one that made or wrote that book probably not but they're doing the same thing they're making the same living absolutely absolutely right and it really depends on the individual and what their what their will is to do i mean you know does a person want to devote themselves to uh, you know, one particular endeavor of being a, being an influencer and not really producing anything with any kind of immortality to it, or do you want to be known for, you know, leaving behind you literature or art or, a, you know, a business empire or something that carries on and persists after your death, right? So I think, you know, when we encounter that, we sort of encounter something that's uh, really fundamental and essential to the human condition, right? Which is, the, like, like I said, to kind of tie it back to what you were asking earlier about uh, all manners of creativity flowing from the same wellspring, really, I think, uh, you know, it depends, you know, do you have that drive within you to call forth things which aren't and make them real? And that, to me, is where the, that, that would be the more, I, I guess we could call it the more esoteric level of what uh, the overlapping creative activities is, is that, you know, that, that will to create, you know, and that, that for me, the way I tend to visualize that within myself is the image of the black sun, which, you know, obviously, you know, I imagine a bunch of listeners are going to be familiar with, right? But uh, the way I, I visualize my creative center is like the center of the black sun, and all of the, the, the sig runes or the arms or the or radiating out are different forms of creative expression. That could be my work in the gym. It could be my work as a leader of my organization. It could be... Uh, a business venture, it could be a painting, it, whatever it is, those are all just spokes radiating out from the center, and they're, they're vehicles for that energy within to find manifestation in the real in the real world. As he reminds me of a quote that I heard Nicholas Schreck say not too long ago in an interview that he did. Someone was asking him about the music that he created and where does it come from, mm. and he answered with one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard him say. He said, I am a vessel for the sound. I don't see myself as the creator. In fact, I am allowing the sound or the song to flow through me. I am simply here to be a vehicle for the sound's needs. And in taking that that esoteric, Absolutely. that perspective was incredible. I mean, we're beyond the well. We're all about the esoteric here. That's what we do. 
But mm-hmm. when, when it comes to those things, I mean, that was an incredible perspective. And apply that to whatever work you're doing for weightlifting or folding boxes or whatever. You are a vessel for the thing that you're doing rather than you doing that thing. And it can serve as a number of purposes, one of which being maybe to humble you a little bit because we can definitely get up on our high horse sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I think that that also, it, it has the joint effect, at least, uh, you know, that I've noticed in, you know, hopefully in myself and in others. Like for the, it not only keeps you humble because you, you kind of give credit for the, the, the source of that work to, you know, whether that's your your higher self or a god or golly, whatever you're believing that greatness to a higher source and you're kind of humbling yourself into a place where you're you're basically the uh you're basically the the, you know the musical instrument the wind passing through it and the music's just coming the sound is coming from somewhere else right you're just the same channeling it and uh i think it also if you begin to look at yourself as a vessel for for connection to the divine or connection to the mythic which to me is what all artwork should be. It should be a way to abandon the mundane and pursue the mythic. I think uh, if you begin to look at yourself as almost like a like an acolyte or like a priest of this this you know creative center, you're automatically going to begin orienting yourself towards things of value and away from you know the vapid and the mundane. You're going to be seeking things of greater value. I mean, you know, do you want to channel great music or do you want to channel? pop garbage right i mean that's (laughs) if you're just the the you know the vessel for that music then what does that say about where you're you know where you're what you're channeling i think ultimately that makes the difference between a pop tune and an extremely elegant beautiful piece of music that transcends time you know guys like mozart Mm -hmm. and the classical composers there's a reason why we remember them there were other artists around that same period of time who by those standards were shit but we don't remember their names and that's that's for a reason absolutely so. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and I think that's going to be it's going to be interesting uh, for the for the people of the future to see like who's the Mozart of today, right? Who are those people today? Who are the the people in 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 this age of, of democratized communication where literally all of us have a voice and all of us are effectively our own media syndicate? Who will the people of tomorrow remember? Who are they going to look back on and think like that? That guy was like the Jimi Hendrix of of you know 2019 or the you know the, the mozart or the the wagner or whoever it was right like that like, who's going to be those per- those people tomorrow it's uh, kind of I, I think about that often well, so definitely while we're on the subject of immortality it seems like when it comes to like whether you're a writer a singer an actor whoever or a, a painter especially artwork tends to transcend time kind of like we're discussing now so would you think that, would you say that immortality, achieving this state of transcending time and being remembered hundreds or thousands of years in the future, is that a part of the endeavors that you're doing, whether that be brand marketing or being a painter? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think everybody who creates artwork is on some level doing so with the intention of creating something that it persists after their death. Um, the there's a lot of philosophy that comes out of traditional Japanese aesthetics that looks at the transience of life as a thing of beauty and as a, it kind of elevates it to its own aesthetic. And I, I think that uh, for me, that's been influential in the sense that I, you know, when I, when I look at the artwork I create, it, it's not so much that I 
you know, it's not so much an ego play where I where I want to create things that somebody's going to remember my specific name two thousand years from now. Because when we look at the statues of you know ancient Greece or Rome or the Parthenon or whoever it is, like we don't know the names of those artists necessarily that created all of those things. Their names oftentimes have been lost to time, and I'm sure mine will be too, as, as most of ours will be. But the act of pouring my passion and my soul into works of art that will hopefully be dragged out of the sea 2,000 years from now and wondered at by the people of a distant future. There's something about that that allows to captivate the substance within me and the substance that I'm trying to channel and make it immortal. And that, that definitely is always my objective. Uh, everything is really just a, a vehicle to make that happen. And there's, there's cultural reasons for that too. Uh, I, I, I look at the world right now, particularly Western civilization. I, you know, I maybe uh, maybe uh, straying into the world of uh, metapolitics here a little bit, but I look at uh, Western civilization right now, of which I am a scion, and I see so much going wrong, and I see so much orientation away from greatness, and kind of down into this you know self-deprecating state of being that that you know so many of our our nations have sort of sunk into, and I. I you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Paul Wagner at the beginning of this, uh, you know, this conversation, and there's something I, I saw that he either read or said that kind of really stuck with me. He said, you know, it's, it's you don't want to tear, spend your time trying to tear down what you hate. Spend your time trying to build what you create, which is obviously with a lot of his work. That's what he's been doing, and there was it, it's when I when I heard that it it just it kind of hit me as a an incredibly profound way of living. It's so simple and it's so powerful. And for me, the artwork, the the objective of it is always to inspire the people of tomorrow it, who are you know part of my culture and my civilization. So that hopefully, if I'm good enough and if what I produce is valuable enough, be it in art or in business or in you know any other endeavor, that people tomorrow will feel the inspiration and feel the energy from that the same way that I looked on my influences and have carried that culture forward. So I, I guess when we say immortality, it's less about an immortality of myself as it is an immortality of an idea or a spirit. Uh, you mentioned the, if we talk about Asian influences, like look at texts like the Bhagavad Gita, like Sri Krishna image, like figures like that. Oh, who, yeah. One of their primary, their, their messages is kind of relates to what Nicholas Shrek said with the whole sound thing. He said, you know, action is better than inaction doing things, but mm-hmm performing your action with detachment from the world around you because you know only the, the fool is the one who gets tied up in the results of his actions rather than the action itself just doing that thing is that really that seems to be where immortality is really achieved is not exactly like not doing something for the sake of i want to get paid for it i want to do this like you mentioned the sculptures in greek and in rome and all these <clears> other places <throat> the sculptures speak for themselves the action was far more important than the result or the reward because that reward was lost to time, but the action, the sculpture is still there standing 3,000 years later. Absolutely. And it's the same thing with uh, when I look at the, the stories that are handed down to us, you know, be they from Vedic sources or European sources or, you know, Chinese or whatever culture it is, doesn't really matter. The fact that we still have stories that are, that are told and understood and iconized in our, in our modern day world that are you know, 4,000, 3,000, 6,000 years old is incredible. What is it about those stories that is so absolutely fundamentally true in its principle that 6,000 years later or 3,000 years later, 
we still know the names of these heroes and these, these gods and these principles and ideas and the, the overall scope and arc of the story is still with us. And that, to me, is is what immortality really is about. It's uh, it, it's less about the individual, for sure. And it also seems as if, like you mentioned, artists of old and things of that sort, like being an influencer for the future, like for generations of the future. And in you mentioned the metapolitic kind of connect, connection there too. In modern times, and this has been an issue for human civilization as long as we've been around, but there's been an influx of people defining themselves by what they hate rather than investing themselves in what they're for. Like you've all kinds of groups out there that are specifically existent because they are against something. Does, I don't really seem that doesn't seem to get you anywhere other than being this guy. Like if you ask someone who are you and they say I'm not this, you haven't answered the question. Absolutely, they kind of they always ring hollow to me. Groups like that that, that define themselves by whatever it is they hate it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, you know, and again, you know, like I'm not out to judge whether somebody should or shouldn't hate something. I like I I don't I don't generally care, but. It, to me, it just seems like it seems wasteful. It seems like a waste of time to spend your time giving that much power. Like you're almost conferring supernatural power to the thing you hate by, you know, being uh, so wrapped up in it, as opposed to redirecting that energy and, and you know using it to create what you love instead. Um, to me, like like that, the whole principle behind that shifting mindset is really alchemy, right? That's that's the, 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 the fundamental principle behind most of my work and, uh, I, you know, a lot of the work that I follow and admire in others is, is, you know, the ability to take one thing and turn it into something else, right? Take an idea, turn it into reality. Take fear and turn it into fire. Take pain and turn it into art, whatever it is, right? There's, there's a way to create something positive with it instead of just, you know, nurturing this slow, bitter hatred that produces nothing. Absolutely. When it comes to producing nothing, if you only have what you are against to define yourself, then you really aren't worth much. And that seems to be a, a massive issue in regards to at least, you know, contemporary existence. So I, I know you touched on a lot of artists, including myself, whenever just it comes from me writing something, a piece of poetry or doing this. When I set out to do something and one of the like to reference back to the Bhagavad Gita, like principles of that nature, practicing detachment from your results. What about you as an artist when you dig down deep into that place that really inspires you and influences you to get your work done? Uh, what kind of forces motivate you to do those things? Is it, again, is it immortality? Is that the most important part of it? Or is it just a personal, is it a ritual to you? Like what, what inspires you day to day mm -hmm. to get up and to be an owner of a business or to be a painter, or own a studio? Mm -hmm. I think it's a couple of different things, to be honest, that all work in union. Uh, on a high level, the striving and the belief that I have uh, that I have a, a particular mindset and a particular kind of skill set that allows me to create things that further culture and and you know kind of seek that immortality. So there's definitely that, but I find sometimes that's almost too esoteric. It's almost too high level. And as, as much as I like melodrama and mythology, it, it I find sometimes what I need is just uh, uh, something a little more grounded and a little more visceral and a little more immediate than this idea of, you know, 2,000 years from now, people are going to look at my artwork and, and it's going to change them in some way. And when it comes to the more, I guess, ground level or, or, or internal or personal reason, really... Uh, 
it, it's a tough one for me to explain. I, I, I tend to just look at the creation of art in the same way that a lion probably looks at why it kills or why it hunts. It's it, in many ways, it's just plated in what I do. And there's been times when that need to express and that need to feel a connection and that need to put out something in the world and, and find a way to take the emotion or the ideas or the, the, the energy that I feel when I, when I interact with myself and with the world, there's been times in the past where I've not honored that internal drive and that internal need to create things. And when that's happened, that's led me to addiction in the past in years gone by. It's led to all kinds of problems. And for me, the, the, the motivation and the discipline to create is as much an act of just honoring the need to take what I experience and to turn it into something else and communicate it and use it to build. So it isn't necessarily always a, a, a motivational thing. Like motivation is a particularly relevant uh, experience for me. It's just kind of what I do, if that makes sense. I, I know that's kind of a, uh, that can kind of seem like a wishy-washy answer, but um, I don't really have a, it's, it's less thought and more just kind of visceral action for me sometimes. So in other words, kind of how you've mentioned the, the lion. So when a lion is on the hunt and it sees its prey, the lion is going to kill and eat the prey because he is in fact a hunter. The same way you mm -hmm. are an artist because it's who you are, not really what you do. Absolutely. And that that's, uh, it, I don't look at it like a job. I don't look at it like a, 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 a an active conscious choice in the sense that I, you know, sat down and planned out what I was going to be when I grow up and settled on an artist. It just, it kind of just happened. Um, and it happened as a way that, for a number of different reasons. Like art for me has been very therapeutic. It was a, it was a way to turn pain into something creative and to reconstitute a lot of negative emotions and negative experiences into something positive and productive. Um, I would say it's partially meditative as well. It's definitely ritualistic. And it's definitely taught me a lot of uh, the ability to like detach from my, you know, my from from the outcomes. Like you mentioned the Bhagavad Gita, which is fantastic, and I, I love the ideas that that book postulates that that trying to gain ownership of the outcome of your work will always anchor you to negative outcomes in the in the long run. So for me, the act of spending whatever it is twenty, thirty, forty, a hundred hours on a painting, and then having it leave me and go out into the world to who knows where I right? could be anybody. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot of people that buy my work, obviously. So it, it could end up anywhere. It, it, when I first started doing that and when I first got to a place where I was selling artwork, I kind of hit this wall where, you, you know, you're, you're, you're excited because now you're getting paid to do something you love. But at the same time, I felt this weird sort of sense of selfishness, like, Oh, that's my work. And I, you know, I, <laughs> I want to, I want to sell it, but I also want to hang on to it. Um, and uh, the ability to just let go and to realize that I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm creating for reasons for myself as well, but I'm also doing this for other people. Like I don't hang my artwork on my own wall. It's meant to go out there in the world and do things for other people. You know, that's definitely been a big part of it too, is just using it as that, that cathartic process of ritual of creation. And then I guess you could call, almost call it destruction when it leaves me and goes out into the world. And I, you know, that piece is gone forever. It, it sort of reminds me. There's a 
the video that I watched on YouTube, and I, I it may have been on uh, Baraka or Sansara or like one, but it was uh, these, these Tibetan monks building this elaborate mandala out of sand, and they spend God knows how long on this thing, and it's absolutely incredible. And when it was done, the one monk drags his hand across it and wipes it out. And then they take all the sand and they pour it into a jar and they put the jar on a shelf with a whole bunch of other jars of colored sand, which they've obviously done this process many times. And I saw that and I thought, you know, like how, how profound is that? I mean, it's the same sand, you know, the, the work got done. They, like there was just so much profundity there, so many layers of meaning behind that, that gesture. So it's something I've tried to emulate in my own work. I mean, oh, Tibetan monks, I mean, if you want to talk about enlightenment and, and ways of doing things that make absolutely no sense to us, like to us Westerners in a lot of ways, because we, we like to be, tell me how good my work is. Tell me how good my work is. Oh, that review is negative. Like we, we lose sleep over those things. And then you have people across the world who will spend so much time into this magnificent work of art just to wipe their hand across it. And it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it's incredible, isn't it? It's it's mind blowing in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm definitely I would love to watch this myself because it sounds like something I get a lot out of, and so would everybody else. But kind of one of the things that I wanted to touch upon there, you mentioned that when it comes to you being an artist, it's sort of like a ritual, it's a meditation. And referring back to the Bhagavad Gita, when it comes to ascending beyond your ego, ascending beyond your physical, your sensory, your sensory body, and identifying with your Atman, the Brahman, that the Godhead being higher than you know the body that we inhabit now is art and is art the way that the action that you use to associate yourself with that higher self is that the action that you use to ascend beyond the ego ascend beyond the senses i think so yeah the uh the the whole concept for art in in my opinion is to encapsulate the spirit of an idea at least it is for me and the creation process from the time i conceive of a of an idea for a painting to the time it's complete. The the real art for me takes place during that process. And it's, it's really about trying to get outside of myself and find a way, merge my creative style with something that goes beyond it. it there's, there's definitely ritualistic elements to there. I, I also, the mediums I, I use and the, the style of my work is also all intentionally done with, with esoteric purposes and with, with, I guess, occult purposes that are sort of played in and all that. So the choice to use all of the base layers, for example, that I use are ashes and charcoal that come from previous paintings that I've done that I've burned. So there's a sacrificial element there, which I guess kind of goes back to what we were just talking about with the mandala, is I'll, I'll, I'll paint whether it's just the sketches for the for the piece that I'm working on or whether it was an entire full-size painting that I will burn and then collect those ashes and use those to kind of do the underpainting and the, the, the mock-up of the next painting along. So there's a, you know, the symbolism there, I think, is pretty obvious, right? I mean, carved, you know, ashes are, are carbon. It's like a, a, you know, a foundational building block. Um, there's the reference to the beginning stage of the alchemical pro- process called Negredo, which is the blackening. Um, which is also where my, my namesake comes from, um, Saturday being Saturn or the planet Saturn, which is often associated with uh, the, the destructive elements. And then even the choice of merging uh, abstract with realism to kind of touch on the, the form and the spirit of a thing, uh, choosing to use acrylic with oil. There's like a, you know, the acrylic tends to be newer and more vibrant. It's a more modern medium. 
And oil is oil is old school, right? That's the the, the product of the, the old masters and, and gives you a more fleshy tone. So everything has been about fusing the mundane with the mythic and always orienting towards a, a higher level of being for sure. It's excellent just how all these little just that burning of the old and using the ashes of the old to create something anew. I mean, that's the essence of alchemy, kind of like you mentioned earlier, is turning one thing yeah, to another. Yeah, so, so important. Yeah, that's interesting. I would have never even thought. Of course, I myself am not a painter. It's definitely something I want to pick up and try and get better at for sure. But just that process being what it is, it's, it kind of reminds me almost of planting, like gardening, using old soil that is, yeah, yeah using old soil yeah. that has hosted a previous civilization of plants and using that and recycling it to make something new. It's the Ouroboros, right? It's the, uh, the, the kind of the circle without beginning and end, right? Everything that everything that divinity creates, it also destroys and consumes and then uses to create something else. So I guess from that perspective, no one ever really dies. We're all reconstituted back into the state of being and then recalibrated into something else. That it really, the process that I try to match with my artwork is exactly that writ small and for me it's a way to sort of access that and hopefully the the process of doing so transfers something of that to the people that uh, that consume the work or, or you know who buy it or whatever right but uh it it really for me the uh that was also uh, a way of reconciling my own past i i so i had uh, about i guess we're going back about 12 years now i i was in a, a very very different place than i am today with uh with addiction to opiate opiates and uh, heroin, uh, my life had been essentially completely destroyed. And the process over the last 12 years of having rebuilt that and reconstituted it and basically having to reconcile a lot of really terrible things from the past with where I was going, that to me was where art really got its start. And that's where I really learned about the, I began to learn about the ideas of the fact that you can take something that's been negative and painful and destructive and, and, you know, call it metaphorically burned to ashes. And you can use that to, to the, I love the gardening method you just mentioned actually. That's, that's actually, that's excellent. That's, uh, that's exactly the mindset, right? You can take that to grow something new. So, well, life and death like is say, what is there, like all, uh, all, all greatness has its roots in sorrow. Yeah, I was I, I was immediately hit with a Marcus Aurelius statement that he made in meditations. It's uh, that me and my, a friend of mine actually had a conversation about recently. It's life and death are just processes of nature, and anybody who's afraid of a process of nature is a child. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's the essence of it. And I think just kind of round this back out, put a stamp on it. I wanted to get your perspective on, as we mentioned earlier, when it comes to building a brand of any kind or being an artist of any kind demotivation and things like that they tend to hit you know we get hit with processes maybe while we're uh, maybe while we're in the process of doing something of creating something we get hit with whether it be a financial situation or we lose sight of what we're doing we have to draw ourselves back back to our roots why we started doing this thing in the first place if you had to give any sort of advice to someone who might be in a in a rut stuck with what they're doing what would that be how do you drag yourself out of that hole and get yourself motivated again yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's been so much in recent years, I think, written about that. And, uh, you know, obviously, the, you know, we live in an age right now where the, there's, there's so much complexity and there's so much opportunity for all of us to compare ourselves to everyone else and, and anything else at any given time. And, 
you know, when, I mean, certainly we all, as you know, be it as artists or in, in life in general, fall into those ruts when we, you know, when we, when, you know, kind of feel like we dry up and get stagnant. The best advice I could give, I think, is just, you know, and it's 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 so simple that it's all it's almost boring to hear, is just make sure that whatever it is you're doing. No matter what it is, whether it's a business, whether it's a relationship or a marriage or whatever, you know, or creating art, always understand what your reason for being there is. You know, do do you absolutely have a clear reason and is there consonance between what that reason is and what you're doing? And if there is, then draw yourself back to that, that question of why, like, why am I creating art? You know, why do I care about this? Why do I care? Why did I choose this business in particular? And it doesn't always have to be some some grand idea. Some of the, the, the strongest reasons I've ever heard is because I don't want my daughter to grow up poor. I mean, that's a hell of a powerful reason, right? I mean, if that doesn't motivate a man to get off his ass and build a brand and, and do his work, then nothing will, right? So I think in, you know, kind of when, when the... When, when the creative juices are flowing and when, you know, we'll call it what it is, when money's flowing, when things are working, when things are successful, when we feel like that that divine energy is just flowing through us and everything is happening, you know, almost in a, in, a, in a magical sort of way, it's easy to feel motivated. It's easy to feel that sense of passion and it's easy to, you know, get up and talk about how great life is. But when that wellspring begins to dry up and when the water stops flowing, just remember, like, everything has a dry season, right? There's always going to be droughts. There's always going to be times when the waters aren't flowing. And at that point, is that's when you kind of have to, to just honor that phase, right? Like, don't be afraid of not feeling okay all the time. I mean, one of the things that, that's been so damaging about all of this personal development bullshit and self-help nonsense that I see is that it gives you the idea that unless you're this absolute fucking beast that's switched on and producing crazy artwork and, you know, making million-dollar businesses happen overnight, unless you're doing that and unless you're always positive and always, you know, beaming with energy, that something must be wrong. It's like, no, like, there's, there's night and day, there's light and dark, there's, you know, a, a, a summer, you know, if you're in that summer phase, so to speak, where things are flourishing and, and you know, creativity flowing, money's flowing, love is flowing, whatever it is you're looking for, you know, that's good, but there's going to be a winter. Like, you're going to pay for that at some point. There's going to be a time when you need to just honor that cycle. So to me, that that would be the best advice I could give is that, that kind of dual, I guess we'll call it two pieces of advice. First of all, understand why the fuck you're doing this in the first place and have a very good reason. It doesn't need to be... A, a colossal poetic reason, but just have a reason. Understand what it is that you're trying to do and why you're doing it, and then honor the cycles and don't be afraid of the negative cycles. I mean, it's you know, winter is just a time to maybe step back from your studio for a month and go be with family and friends and get away from the artwork that's frustrating you and come back to it with fresh eyes. And, and I found that there's a, there's a magic in just honoring those cycles. Remember the garden; its soil isn't always, always prosperous. Always. That was fantastic. I appreciate that was excellent. That I wouldn't have worded it better myself. So I just want to go ahead and extend thank you so much for coming on as we round out this episode. This was one of my favorite talks. Definitely a lot of a lot of golden stuff here. A great way to get back into the swing of things. I just, again want to thank you for coming on. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Wherever else. Awesome. Yeah, I'm at uh, Saint Saturday with an underscore at the end on Instagram, uh, on Facebook as well. That's that's probably the easiest way to find me. 
All right, and we'll go ahead and I'll drop all the plugs and stuff like that on our website. Awesome, and man. The beyondthewellpodcast.com. The website has been purchased. It's under construction, ready to get that going. We can be found at Beyond the Well Podcast on Instagram. Facebook's getting ready for that too. Again, thank you so much, Nico, for coming on here. Nico Murcialo, is that how you say it? That's right. Okay, cool. I didn't butcher it. Awesome. Awesome, man. <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks so it. much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's do it again sometime. Thank you so much. You got it, man. Take care.